Good morning. It is great to be with you again. You know, I was supposed to be here last year, but uh, I got COVID. And I got it bad. And you have no idea how much I would have rather have been with you. (laughs) You know, actually, this church uh, is very special to me. Uh, You may not know this, but two weeks after my wife and I arrived in Orlando uh, to start Cast Member Church, I was in this building. I was here for a regional pastors meeting with the EFCA. And so I have had the joy of knowing Tom, Brian, and now Caleb. And it's such a joy to see what God is doing in you and through you. You're an inspiration and you're an encouragement. I just want to say thank you. It's, it's just been wonderful. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about Cast Member Church because some of you have probably come with questions. And uh, I will just uh, give you a quick overview. Cast Member Church uh, was started 11 years ago uh, because we felt that Disney needed a church. And um, so we pretty much blo- broke every church planting rule in the book. Um, and actually, we had to, because when we arrived at Disney, we realized that it was like a, what we would call a parachute drop into enemy territory. And so uh, we had to learn on the fly. Normal church planting would not work in the Disney culture. And what we now have 11 years later is a church that has 1,600 microchurches on six continents in 19 different languages. And we have no building, no budget, and no paid staff. And we're cool with that. So God can do incredible things with very little. And I want to encourage you in that regards. Um, As Caleb said, um, I'm going to be spending half of my time of 2023 in Paris. It's a rough job, I know. Uh, But actually what we're doing is we have so many cast members now that have uh, either worked at Walt Disney World or at Disneyland Paris, and now they've gone home and they're doing microchurches wherever they are. We needed a hub of some sort in Paris. And you can only do so much on Zoom. I mean, uh, Zoom's fun, uh, but um, you really need to have life-on-life stuff happening. So my wife and I are going to be going to Paris a lot. So I've been studying my French two hours a day. Merci. And uh, we'll see how that goes. So in any case, ah, let's, uh, well, okay. Let's address the elephant in the room. What is going on with Disney? (laughs) Right? What's going on? Well, here's the answer. I don't know. (laughs) I really don't know. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. What you see on the news and what you hear on social media is a little tiny piece of the story. Because what we've noticed in the last 11 years is the darker things get, the greater our opportunity becomes. And we've seen the gospel accelerating as Disney gets darker. Go figure. Go figure. So this has been actually a, a, a very exciting time for us. And we are actually, we don't, we're not a part of Disney, in case you were wondering. We're not 
We're not associated with Disney. We're not supported by Disney. Uh, they know we're there. And, I, and I've actually, the president of Walt Disney Parks and Resorts has actually said to my face, we are so glad you're here. Okay? Now, I don't know if he meant it or not, but, uh, <laughs> but it was nice to hear, right? So, uh, so in any case, I'm going to share with you what I think is the, the secret sauce to what to how God has done what he's done at Disney. Because I think, no, I know it's something that applies to all of us. And it's really important. And I think what, and what's amazing about this is it's a huge plot twist from what we've always known. It's, we've always thought it's this way. No, it's this. Now, I don't know about you, but I love movies with plot twists, right? You know, whether it's, I'm not going to spoil anybody's, you know, movies or anything like that, but uh, if it's, whether it's Casablanca, the plot twist at the end of Casablanca, the, the plot twist at the end of The Sixth Sense, or The Empire Strikes Back, Luke, I am your father. <laughs> I'll never get down that low. I love it when the, the in those stories where the, the hero turns out to be the villain, or the villain turns out to be the hero. It's so cool. It's just one of those where you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And the reason I, I think we like those kinds of things is because God is the master of the plot twist. Just when we think we have him figured out, he throws something in and you go, And Jesus was just, I mean, everywhere he went, he was throwing plot twists everywhere. He does it in, in my life, and he does it in your life all the time. Sometimes it's like, oh, wow. And other times it's, you have got to be kidding me. Sometimes they hurt. Sometimes they hurt. Part of the fruitfulness of cast member church I believe, is the fact that we have failed forward in our journey. I think that's true for, for any missionary, any follower of Jesus for that matter. We fail forward. We fail forward if we learn, <laughs> if we learn as we go. And it wasn't too long into our journey that I realized that I was immersed in a community the Disney community, which is 74,000 people work at the Walt Disney World Resort, which makes it the largest single-site employer in the United States. The Walt Disney Company and all of its subsidiaries is the largest and most influential entertainment enterprise in the world. There's a wall in Disney University. Yes, they have a university. There's a wall in Disney University that shows the logo of every company they own and it goes down the whole hallway. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. And that was one of the reasons God brought us there. You know, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul could not wait to get to Rome, even though he knew that it, it would probably be his demise. But he couldn't wait to get to Rome because he knew that if the gospel could get into Rome, the gospel could go out all the Roman roads to the ends of the earth. And that's what it did. 
Well, for us, Disney is modern-day Rome. And if we, can if we can inject the gospel into that culture, which is already happening, by the way, some things I can't tell you about, but Jesus is doing some really, really cool things with the Walt Disney Company around the world. So you could be praying for, praying for them and praying for us. So the secret sauce, the secret sauce to all of this is how do we respond to a broken world? How, that was the question I had to wrestle with at Disney. How do I respond to all of these communities? It's not just one particular community. There's, there's all kinds of subcultures at Walt Disney World. And how do we respond to these communities with the gospel? Now, on, on Friday night, I talked about learning the language of the heart. We have to learn how to connect. Uh, it's not just what we say, but it's how we, our actions and how we live it out. If you weren't there, that was probably the best thing I did. So this is going to be a disappointment for those of you who are here for Friday. No, I hope not. So how do we respond to a broken world? Real simple. Real simple. We look at Jesus. We look at Jesus. All of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament is wrapped up in Jesus. So if we're going to look at how to respond, how to, how to take action, how, when not to take action, we look at Jesus. Because Jesus was in the middle of everything. And I'm going to take you to John chapter 8. If you want to turn there, that's fine. If not, I'm going to read it. And I'm going, to read, I'm, t- I'm going to read from the message version of the Bible. I know some of you think I'm a heretic if I do that. Um, but I'm reading from the message version because when you have a church that has 19 different languages and the second language is English, you choose the easiest version of the Bible for people to understand. So the message, I think, is, uh, and it's particularly in this particular event in Jesus' life, is quite powerful. And I want you to notice four things before we go into this scripture. It's divided into four parts. Four parts. There's the temple, there's the trap, there's the twist, and then there's the template. Okay, listen to that again. The temple, we're going to talk about the temple, the trap, the twist, and the template. Okay? So here we go. John chapter 8, starting with verse 1. Jesus went across to Mount, to Mount Olives, but he was soon back in the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. He sat down and taught them. So this is the temple. Here's the setting. Most Bible scholars believe that this was the time of a festival. And so it's people from all over were coming. This was the opportunity when rabbis in all the different regions would kind of set up camp. So I want you to imagine it like this. It's kind of like a Christian conference, all right? It's a, all, the, all the, the well-known speakers are in town. And the, the temple courts, you have to imagine this, are about the size of 20 football fields, Okay? And there are thousands and thousands of people going back and forth and, um, you know, they want to hear this rabbi or they want to they hear this teacher over here. And, and so it's got all of the bustle of like the Orlando Convention Center. It's just, it's just crazy. And the sur- surrounding the courts was this thing called the portico. 
The portico is basically, imagine walls going up very high and then a roof that comes over and tips to the inside. That's the portico. And what would happen is uh, teachers could sit under the portico and teach and their voices would naturally carry out. So you didn't need like this. Okay? And Jesus knew that during festivals was an opportunity to communicate what God had sent him to share. So that's kind of, that's kind of the setting that's, that's happening right now. And so it's, it's noisy, it's crazy, but yet there are people that have heard about this Jesus and, and we, we want to go see. I'm sure, I'm sure he was drawing a big crowd. So this is kind of where it's all happening, okay? Just imagine that in your mind. Moving on. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses, in the law, gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? My understanding is, and I've done some research, I've talked to some, some people who specialize in the temple and, and all of this stuff. There's a little section in the temple where uh, civil and, and, and religious matters were, were handled in the court, like their religious court system. And so this woman had been probably that morning found guilty of, of, of adultery. She was, it says she was caught in the act of adultery. Um, ladies, what question do you have every time we read this event? Where's the man? Where's the man? Excuse me, but I, last I heard, it takes the tango. For whatever reason, it says they stood her in plain sight of everyone. Now, I always envisioned that, you know, she'd been caught in the act of adultery, so they'd like taken her and thrown her down naked or something like that. No, that's not how, that's not how the, the system worked. They wouldn't do that. But to stand her in front of everyone and call her an adulteress is absolutely the most humiliating thing you can do. They stood her in plain sight of everyone. I want you to think for a moment. Your darkest most humiliating secret suddenly exposed for all to see and hear. Let's go around the room. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Could you imagine? Could you imagine? And then the religious scholars and the Pharisees, they say, teacher, teacher, this is just my commentary. I don't think they meant that. I think it was like, teacher. It's like, this, is, this is all, this is all, they're baiting. They're trying to bait him. This woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Open and shut case. Caught in the act. Moses... Moses in the law, which would be their version of saying, well, the word says, 
Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? (laughs) Here's our chance to humiliate the biggest threat to our control. Maybe we can kill two birds with one stone. I'm sorry, that was... Scripture says they were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. Jesus bent down with his finger, or I'm sorry, bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first, throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Can I just tell you, the best way to annoy someone is to ignore them. (laughs) Just ignore them. Could you imagine? These these weren't just Pharisees. This was Jerusalem. This was the temple. This was the top. Hey, who does this guy think he is? Don't you know we're important? We're a big deal here. And you're ignoring us? No, he, he chooses to write in the dirt. <laughs> Did you ever wonder what he wrote in the dirt? The Bible doesn't tell us. It's going to be anybody's guess. Now, some people say he was writing the Ten Commandments. I think maybe he might have been writing the names of some girlfriends of the Pharisees. A friend of mine who I, I, I really trust, he says, maybe Jesus just needed a moment to collect his thoughts. Maybe he was just connecting with the Father before he responded. Maybe he was just taking that breath that we all need sometimes. kind of funny. He said, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Do you realize in this whole event, there was only one sinless one in this story? Only one sinless one. The one without sin, go first. Just put that in the back of your mind. So Jesus twists everything. That's the plot twist. And the Pharisees know it. And I think the crowd all around is kind of like, oh no, he didn't. Hearing that, this is the template. Hearing that, they walked away, one after another, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. That's a beautiful moment. That's a beautiful moment. We see 
sin. I mean, apart from the cross, this is probably the most graphic moment in Scripture of Jesus and sin. Guilty as charged. And Jesus. Can you imagine how tense it was? Can you imagine the woman expecting any minute to be led out and be put to death? And like that, she's set free. Can you imagine the emotional shift that must have taken place? And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing it took her days to figure out what happened. Now, we know this. We know this story. We know this event. We've, we've, we've read it for years. But there's something that I may not, I think that we may not have noticed in all this time. We know what Jesus does and what he says, but I want us to pay attention to the order that he does and says these things. The first thing he does is he tells the Pharisees to focus on their own sins. He tells the accusers, take a look at yourself. That's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is he forgives the woman. She didn't ask for it. And the third thing he does is he frees her to live her life differently from now on. Go and sin no more. Now, just FYI, does Jesus really believe that this woman will never, ever, ever sin again? Of course not. Of course not. But he did something really, really special. He showed her that she could live her life out of forgiveness instead of living her life trying to obtain forgiveness forgiveness you can now go and not have to worry about the weight of sin I'm setting you free because I don't condemn you that's a plot twist that's a plot twist but here's what I've discovered Jesus tells the Pharisees to focus on their own sins he forgives the woman And he tells her to change the direction of her life. And here's what I've discovered. How often do you and I do the reverse? Stop sinning. Then I will forgive you. And I will deal with my own issues. Thank you very much. That's what the world sees the church. That's how the world sees the church. Stop sinning, then I'll forgive you, and I'll deal with my own stuff. Stay out of my business. That's just the reality. It may not be true every time, but that is, that is the impression. We have to go back to Jesus. We've got to go back to Jesus and look at how he connects with broken people. I got a, well, actually, I get, about every year I get a call from a group of churches that say, 
that they, they want to start protesting Disney. They want to show up and with signs and all this kind of stuff. And they're always mad at me because I won't participate in it. Because that's not going to change anyone's mind. I talked to a lady last week. And she came up to me and, and uh, she said, um, yeah, a whole bunch of us have... Um, Stop going to Disney. We're not, we're not supporting Disney anymore, and we, we, we're boycotting Disney, and we know we're hurting them financially. And I said, <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. Disney had the best financial year for the parks ever. The movie division, that's a whole other story. But the parks did really well. But the worst thing you can do in darkness is remove light. Now, I am totally... Fine. If, there, if it's a principle, you don't want to put money towards something like that. Totally get that. Totally get that. But Disney is not our enemy. As I said on Friday night, we have one enemy, and he has already been defeated. We're here to help clean up the mess. <laughs> Jesus starts with heart transformation before behavior modification. All right? And that, that clicks here, but it takes a while to get here. It does. It does because we see things that, that are contrary to God and we go, oh, it, it hurts. It, 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 we feel it twisting in our guts. And, and it's, it's, we know, oh, it's, it's not right. You're ex- that's true. It is not the way it should be. It is not the way it should be. But pe- Jesus does not ask people to behave their way into the kingdom of God. If you believe that someone should behave their way into the kingdom of God, you have works theology rather than grace. You cannot behave your way into the kingdom of God. It's coming saying, I am broken, and I cannot fix myself. I need your forgiveness, and I need your power to make me new. That's the good news. That's the good news. So here's a few thoughts, just some things that I've observed over the years in our time with Disney. Number one, number one, every person in the world is made in the image of God. Every single human being, even the ones that annoy you, even the ones that are completely the opposite of what you believe, somewhere in there is God's image. Now, let me quickly go to number two. Every person in the world is born broken. Okay, so let's just remember, every person is made in the image of God, and every person is born broken, okay? That includes you. That includes me. I look out, and I see incredible, beautiful images of God. But I also see cracks of what used to be broken, and those cracks are filled by Jesus. And that what's, that's what makes you beautiful, by, by the way. And number three, 
We are invited into a family where you have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. Oh, I could sit on this one for a while. I would really love to just bask in that. Could you imagine in our churches around the world providing an environment where the broken could come and not have to prove anything, not have to hide anything, and not have to fear and just come to Jesus? That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Even as you and I, not just people coming in here, but going out there, being a person where the people that know you say, you know what, when I'm with him or when I'm with her, I have nothing to prove, I have nothing to hide, I have nothing to fear. Oh, can I just tell you, you are going to be a magnet. You are going to draw, you're going to draw a lot of broken people, I'll tell you that. That's why you're here. You have the opportunity to model the same thing that Jesus did in the temple. You have the same opportunity to show hope, to demonstrate hope, to, to not just preach the gospel, not just speak the gospel, but live it. Live it. Because our words are one thing, but I, here's what I have learned over the last 11 years. And our, the oldest person in our church, well, the oldest person in our church is me, but the oldest person in our church is 32 years old. Okay, so I've got a very young congregation. All right? You know what matters to them? This is great. When they first, 95% of the people in our church had never touched a Bible in their lives before encountering Cast Member Church. 95%. But it was credibility that drew them to this. It was the fact that we actually lived it. Because here's what I found out. In my world, which is all over the place, young people are not opposed to Jesus. They're opposed to us. And if you wonder why, just take a look at your social media feed and look at what people say. We have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And we bring this, obviously, this needs theoretically no credibility because it stands on its own. But the fact of the matter is people need to see it with skin on. We, because of the Holy Spirit in us, get to be the incarnation in the broken world. We have to get our hands dirty. And I just want to say to the missionaries, God bless you. Because 95% of the stuff you do, we don't see. It's the heart. It's the, it's, it's, the, it's the times when you feel alone and you know you're doing what you're called to do and, and, and your hands are dirty, you're deal, you've got brokenness all around you. Well done. Well done. Because you are the hands and feet of Jesus. But to those of you who are here, this is your church home, I will also call you missionaries. Because I don't know how many cars pass by here in the time that I've been talking, but I would venture to say that most of them don't know Jesus. Jesus. 
And you have the opportunity to get into their messes. Even if it's uncomfortable. Even if it's like, this is, I do, do not believe what this person believes or I don't support this person. You may be the only Jesus they know. And we have to go back and look at how Jesus was face to face with sin. You and I should be the safest place for someone to bring their brokenness to find hope, mercy, and grace. You should be the safest place. So how do we get there? How do we get there? I'm going to close with this. Well, we'll just look at Jesus and follow his example. So start with your heart. Your heart. Your brokenness. Because the more you focus on what Jesus has done for you, the more grateful you become and the less judgmental the, the less judgmental we all become when we focus on ourselves and our brokenness. And as I said earlier, remember that every person in the world is made in God's image. Every person. Every person in this world has been born broken. So don't be shocked. Because brokenness expresses itself in many different ways. And you and I have been invited into this family. And we have the opportunity to invite others into a place with Jesus where they have nothing to prove, nothing to hide, and nothing to fear. What a privilege. What a privilege to offer that invitation. A place where it's okay for the stuff that you're struggling with to spill out. Because Jesus gets down and says, who condemns you? And they look around this place and they go, no one. No one. And Jesus says, neither do I. Can you imagine how this world would be if we took this serious and actually lived it out every single day? There's a prayer that we all pray. Part of the responsibilities of cast member church is we have all of our cast members commit to walking through one of the Disney parks around the world, um, Orlando, Anaheim, Paris, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Shanghai. And every day, there's at least one person who has walked the Disney parks praying, interceding. We call it kingdom mischief. (laughs) Because it's really fun. We're We're not praying for cast members. We can't do that because if we do that, we get kicked out of the parks. But we can, the beautiful thing is, is they all wear name tags. So you can look at somebody's name tag and go, okay. And we can pray silently. But here's the cool thing. The only people that know we're there are Jesus and Satan. And so one of the things that we do is we have this little prayer that we pray before we prayer walk, before we step into into our place of wherever God's leading us that day. And I'm going to invite you just to close your eyes. And I want you to just think a moment 
Jesus kneeling down in front of that woman. She's scared to death. She has no idea what's going on. The conversation is probably above what she's understanding. And she looks up, and all she sees is Jesus. And here's the prayer, and I just invite you to just say this after me with your eyes closed. Jesus, give me your eyes to see what you see. Give me your ears to hear what you hear. Give me your heart to feel what you feel. Give me your wisdom to respond as you desire. For the greatness of your name, the splendor of your glory, and the increase of your kingdom. Amen.